Imagine being told you only have 12 months to live. That happened to Dr. Buteyko when he was only 29 years old in medical school. He then went on to cure diseases just by changing the way his patients breathed. This shook up the entire medical industry and even led to several assassination attempts on Dr. Buteyko's life. Welcome to episode 54 of the Breathe and Think Better podcast. My name is Danny and I'll be your co-host alongside my good friend, Jake. On this show, we explore techniques and modalities that are proven to improve both our mental and physical health, like meditation, breathwork, mindfulness, and more. We also bring on guests who have expertise in a wide range of wellness topics and protocols. And finally, we explore the stories of people throughout history who have used the power of their minds and breath to overcome adversity and accomplish amazing feats. Join us on this exploration of the human experience as we find out what it means to breathe and think better. Today, we're exploring the amazing story of Dr. Buteyko and his breathing methods that saved the lives of thousands of people around the world. Before we hop into the conversation, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors. This episode of Breathe and Think Better is sponsored by Headspace. Through science-backed meditation and mindfulness tools, Headspace helps you create life-changing habits to support your mental health and find a healthier and happier you. The Headspace app has hundreds of hours of guided meditation and mindfulness exercises that have been proven to reduce stress by 14% in just 10 days. Right now, listeners of the Breathe and Think Better podcast can get access to two free weeks of the Headspace app by visiting the link in our show notes. Find more joy, less stress, and the best sleep ever with Headspace. Visit the show notes to download the app and start your free trial today. This episode is also sponsored by Apollo Neuro. The Apollo is a wearable device that actively improves your mood. Utilizing low-frequency sounds felt as gentle vibrations, the Apollo wearable was developed by neuroscientists and physicians to promote better sleep, relaxation, and focus. Consistent users experience, on average, 40% less stress and up to 25% more focus and concentration. The Apollo wearable also increases REM sleep and heart rate variability. I'm wearing my Apollo wearable right now and I have it set to the calm setting, and it's really helping me mellow out after all the long hours of editing this wonderful show. Right now, listeners to the podcast can get 10% off an Apollo Neuro wearable by visiting the link in our show notes. Take control of how you feel and try the Apollo wearable today. You can also support this show by signing up for our Substack. The link is directly in the show notes of this episode, and you can choose either the free or paid option. Free subscribers to our Substack will get notifications every time we release a podcast, and you also get access to articles and short-form and long-form meditation and breathwork exercises. If you want to upgrade to the paid version, you can enjoy ad-free versions of our podcast and long-form exercises every single week along with some other awesome perks. We would love to have you in our Substack community. Head over to the show notes to join us today. And now, let's hop right into today's conversation. Imagine being told you only have 12 months to live. That happened to Dr. Buteyko when he was only 29 years old in medical school. He then went on to cure diseases just by changing the way his patients breathed. This shook up the entire medical industry and even led to several assassination attempts on Dr. Buteyko's life. Before we get into it, let's take a deeper look at who was Dr. Buteyko. Konstantin Pavlovich Buteyko was born in Ivanitsa, which is about 100 miles from Kiev in modern-day Ukraine on January 27, 1923. He grew up to become a Russian medical doctor and clinical physician. He received his medical degree from Moscow Medical Institute, 
where he studied from 1946 to 1952. As a part of his medical training, Dr. Buteko monitored the breathing patterns and rates of terminally ill patients prior to death. After hundreds of hours spent observing and recording breathing patterns, he was able to predict with accuracy, often to the minute, the time of death of each patient. He could tell how many days, hours, and even minutes were left in someone's life just based on their breathing. One thing that he noted was that a patient's death was almost always preceded by an increased breathing rate, faster and erratic breaths. While he was enrolled in university, he was diagnosed with malignant hypertension, a fatal form of blood pressure which gave him a life expectancy of just 12 months. He consulted with the leading doctors at the time, and they told him that there was nothing he could do to reverse the disease. He was condemned to a life of sickness and early death. Now keep in mind, he's only in his late 20s at this point. He spent years observing terminally ill patients, and suddenly he's become one of them. But he continues on, researching mainly hypertension, which is like high blood pressure caused by stress. So that's where his direct experience lied. And in 1952, he finally graduated from the university with honors. It was shortly after his graduation that he made a groundbreaking discovery, one that would not only change and save his own life, but the lives of countless others. The story goes like this. It was October 7th, 1952. Pateko's health was rapidly declining. He was experiencing constant headaches, pain in the lower back and chest, low energy, and shortness of breath. He looked at himself in the mirror and he realized he was breathing in the same way as the terminally ill patients he had been observing. Deep, haggard breaths, his shoulders visibly moving up and down with each inhale and exhale, and his chest was slightly caved in. He straightened up his upper torso, gently pulled his shoulders back, and he took slow and even inhales through his nose, followed by gentle exhales, relaxing the diaphragm at the end of each breath. Within minutes, his pain completely disappeared. It seemed too good to be true, so he consciously returned his breath to his old pattern, breathing deeply and quickly through the mouth, chest breathing, and his pain returned immediately. So he switched back to slow and relaxed nasal breathing, and the pain disappeared once more. It's been said by some that this was one of the greatest, although largely unacknowledged, medical discoveries of the 20th century, that the breath is more deeply linked to health and disease than we realized. Now, before we dive into his work, the results, and some of the more mysterious circumstances surrounding the research, it's important that we address a little of the science behind what's going on here. Dr. Buteko wasn't just acting on a whim when he changed his breathing patterns. Remember, he was a trained medical doctor, and he had spent most of his years of training studying terminal illness and the breath. He also had a firm understanding of his own illness and its causes. Through his observations of dying patients, he knew that hyperventilation, that is, breathing quickly and deeply, an erratic breathing pattern, worsened the health of patients while breathing more slowly caused them to eliminate their symptoms. He also knew that the levels of CO2, carbon dioxide, in his own blood was far lower than normal. And it was common knowledge at the time among doctors that chronic hyperventilation, or overbreathing lowers CO2. Buteko put these two pieces of the puzzle together, concluding that certain diseases may develop as a result of chronic overbreathing and could potentially be reversed by adopting a slower, more shallow breathing pattern. 
Now, you may be thinking about all the times you've heard the advice, take a deep breath. Or maybe you've even practiced breathwork before where you take deep and relatively fast breaths. What we're talking about here is chronic overbreathing with poor form. Breathing through the mouth and into the chest, not engaging the diaphragm, and taking in more air than necessary day after day after day. And get this, overbreathing is far more common today than it was just 100 years ago. According to breath expert and researcher James Nestor, our average air consumption has increased from 5.25 liters of air per minute in the 1930s to over 9 liters per minute today. Most of this has to do with the changing shape of our mouths, jaws, and faces. And if you really want to dive deep into that, we recommend reading Breath, The New Science of the Lost Art by the aforementioned James Nestor. And that's linked up directly in the description. So back to our story. Dr. Buteko has this aha moment in the mirror. He changes his breath and it changes his life. Afterwards, he became so obsessed with the idea that overbreathing was causing these illnesses. Today, we understand that his theory of overbreathing has some scientific merit. We know that diseases like heart disease, ulcers, chronic inflammation, they're all linked to disturbances in circulation, blood pH, metabolism. How we breathe affects all of those functions. But in the 1950s, this was completely unheard of. And Dr. Buteko understood that he would need some serious evidence before he'd get any acceptance from his peers. First, he started working on himself. He trained himself in proper breathing form and technique with a focus on more shallow and less erratic nasal breathing. This effectively cut down his overall liters of air per minute significantly. Within a short period of time, he was completely healed. His blood pressure, CO2, and oxygen levels all returned to normal, and his persistent pain disappeared. But one anecdotal case would hardly be enough to sway anyone, especially since the patient was himself. So he started by working with one of the most common breathing conditions on the planet, asthma. He was relatively unsurprised to find that most asthma patients were chronically overbreathing between their asthma attacks. Over the course of a few years, working out of the Central and Lenin Medical Libraries, Dr. Buteko devised a program to measure breathing, as well as a method of reconditioning patients' breathing patterns. It mostly involved switching completely from mouth breathing to nasal breathing. There was also a focus on learning to relax the diaphragm after an exhale and keeping it relaxed until an air shortage was felt. There was also a number of small lifestyle changes meant to assist the patient further in healing, including sleep protocols and proper hydration. During this time, he started to draw a bit of attention to himself and his work. Fellow doctors and clinicians would scoff at his work, and already the mainstream medical world began to write him off as a pseudoscientist. But Buteko didn't care, and from 1958 to 1959, he conducted clinical trials of using his breath-training approach on a mixed group of 200 people, some sick and some healthy. On January 11, 1960, he demonstrated to the scientific forum at the Institute the clear correlation between depth of breathing, carbon dioxide levels in the body, and the state of health. His research was largely rejected. One colleague even accused him of playing dirty tricks and called his experiments fraudulent. The problem was that Buteko's research directly challenged many of the theories upon which medicine was based— at that time, and still largely today, conventional medicine only looks to surgery and extensive medication as the path to curing disease. It was inconceivable to the medical community that something as simple as a change in breathing patterns could have such a dramatic effect on health and disease. 
But despite all of that, one thing went right for Dr. Buteko on that frigid January day in 1960. He gained the temporary support of Professor Michelkin, the chairman of the Scientific Forum, and that enabled him to continue his research. He was named the director of a respiratory laboratory in Novosibirsk, outfitted with the most up-to-date technology of the time. He was also assigned a team of 200 medical professionals under his supervision. Over the next few years, he gradually developed a series of protocols that he called the Buteco Volitional Breathing Program. And by 1967, over 1,000 patients suffering from asthma, hypertension, and other illnesses had completely recovered using Buteco's methods. So this is where things start to get really interesting. After successfully curing over 1,000 patients, Buteco goes back to Professor Michalkin, the only man who had supported him back in 1960 to present his findings. Michalkin outright refuses to allow an official scientific trial of the Buteco method, but Buteco was insistent, approaching him repeatedly with the data urging him to reconsider to no avail. Shortly after, all of Buteco's laboratory equipment was confiscated and the lab was closed. He was officially reprimanded and warned not to make any public appearances or speeches on his research or any topic associated with breathing and health. According to one account by a Russian journalist named Sergei Altukov, Buteko fully expected to be killed because of his discovery. He reportedly told his staff before the lab closed that he would be dead within two months and they should take care to preserve their own lives as well as the discovery that they had made together. So around this time, he suffered multiple bouts of severe food poisoning, one of which almost took his life. And then there was an extremely suspicious car accident in which the vehicle transporting Dr. Buteco was rammed and forced off the road by another car. The whole thing reeked of a mafia-style assassination attempt. But the good doctor survived through it all, and in 1968, he finally got a break. Somehow, word of his successful treatments for asthma and hypertension patients had reached the press. The coverage began locally and quickly spread around the world, garnering massive public support. Word of Buteco's method reached the Minister of Health, who paid a visit to the small private clinic that the doctor was currently operating out of. Minister Petrovsky looked over the data and told Dr. Buteco that he would immediately endorse his program and implement it into standard medical practice throughout all of Russia if he could successfully treat 80% of the patients given to him in a trial run of his method. He allocated a 50-bed facility for the trials, including all of the necessary equipment and staff. However, there was one condition. All the patients used for the trial had to be the most serious and difficult cases, the ones not otherwise treatable by conventional methods of medicine. Of those 46 patients that underwent Buteco's treatment, 95% were officially recognized as cured. According to the official documents, some of these patients had over 20 different medical conditions. One female patient in particular had been recommended to undergo a mastectomy after being diagnosed with an early-stage malignant tumor. She was included in these trials because she also had asthma. And not only did she recover from her asthma, but after her treatment with Dr. Buteco, her malignant tumor was no longer showing up on scans. The entire trial was monitored by the Russian Health Ministry, and the astonishing results were sent over to Minister Petrovsky for review. But the ministry declared the trial a failure. They stated that only two of the 46 patients had recovered. 
Dr. Buteko's lab was once again shut down, his equipment was confiscated, and his staff was fired. Now, not much is known what happened to Dr. Buteko over the next 12 years, but one thing is certain. He never stopped teaching his method. Unofficial breathing clinics started popping up all over Russia, in almost every major city except the capital. It appeared that despite the threats, the falsified test results, the lab closures, and the confiscated equipment, the doctor himself, along with the originally trained team of practitioners, continued to treat patients with great success. Word finally reached the Russian government, who decided to conduct a second official review of the original data submitted in the 46-person trial. The second official review was conducted at the first Moscow Institute of Pediatric Diseases in April 1980 at the direction of the Government Committee for Science and Technology of the Soviet Ministry of the USSR. The study reversed the findings of the first trial conducted in Leningrad. Buteko's method was a success. Not only that, but they found that the two patients from the original study who did not initially recover had been cured of their diseases after longer treatment. Buteko's method had achieved a 100% success rate. The Soviet Health Ministry officially acknowledged Buteko's discovery in 1983, more than 20 years after it first had been made. It's since been reported that Buteko's method has been successfully taught to more than 1 million citizens of Russia and the surrounding countries. Dr. Buteko went on to write over 50 scientific publications detailing the relationship between respiration, carbon dioxide, and disease. The basis of the Buteko breathing method detailing the relationship between carbon dioxide and breath holding is now taught around the world at major universities. In 1990, the Buteko method was brought abroad for the first time by a man named Kyle Alberts, who suffered a heart condition called an angina attack while visiting Russia. His illness was completely cured, much to his surprise, using Buteko's techniques. He was obviously so pleased with the results that he sponsored two Russian Buteko teachers to travel with him back to Australia, where they began teaching. The teachings quickly spread first to New Zealand and then to the UK. There are now Buteko clinics all over the world, and successful clinical trials have been demonstrated in England, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, and Ukraine. Dr. Buteko made at least one trip to New Zealand and Australia late in his life to help support the Western teachers, and he passed away in 2003. The success of Buteko's method challenges many long-held beliefs within the medical community. It's not really all that surprising that most people haven't heard of it, especially in countries where the treatment of medical illness is a multi-billion dollar business. It's impossible for us to say for certain whether our everyday breathing patterns are directly causing disease and illness. But we can say for certain is that the way we breathe directly affects the way we feel, and that alone is a connection worth exploring. Thank you for listening to the Breathe and Think Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you've enjoyed any of our previous episodes, we would really appreciate it if you left us a five-star review. That helps us get the word out to more people so we can have more people around the world breathing and thinking better. Don't forget to check the show notes of this episode so you can support the show through our sponsors, sign up for our Substack, and access a whole bunch of free resources. We will see you next time.